we're walking through um, you know, one of the topics that really, uh, and even with the, the people I've been talking to in between the weeks, I do think this is a topic uh, that, uh, that maybe the, the church is addressing, I hope, in some way, shape, or form. But there seems to be a, a lot of misunderstanding about justification, which that's pretty straightforward. But really what we're talking about here is sanctification and, and what does, how does that impact our life going forward. And it's led to really some good discussions that I've heard from some of you from around the country. And you can always email me, rick at rickandbubba.com. Uh, we're going to open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into the, the next part of this. If you've missed any uh, of this series, th- this topic is so crucial in this dance between what God does and, and, and what our part is and all that. It's such a delicate dance. It's important that you that you hear the entire series. So if you if you've missed any of it, you can go back and catch this particular series. I know all of it's on this YouTube channel for those of you that are watching. All of it's on the podcast channel, and then you can always go back to BurgessMinistries.com and click on media. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for today, and, and today, Lord, we we pray a special prayer uh, for for David Weeks' family. Uh, David, of course, has uh, been battling cancer and has been here with us a few times for the Wednesday Bible study, but it, it uh, unfortunately, uh, we just got word that he has passed away, but we do know that David's um, uh, life was secure with the redemption that you provided on the cross. Uh, so that is something that uh, the family celebrates, even though they'll, they'll miss David for this moment. Uh, as far as David is concerned, he has been ultimately healed and has stepped into your presence. And we celebrate that for David. And for all who have been redeemed, that that the, the the great thing about those of us who have been redeemed, earthly death means nothing. Oh, death, where's your sting? You have defeated eternal death. You have defeated the the price of, of sin. So we celebrate for David's eternity, but we weep and we mourn for those who love him, who now experience that time of momentary separation. So please have a special hand on that family, Lord, and thank you for the men who are here with with us today be with those that couldn't be here, who had obstacles in their way. We, we continue to pray for the convention that's going on at our home church. And, and Lord, uh, hopefully you'll, you'll give all those leaders uh, wisdom uh, to maneuver through even some of the issues that they'll be discussing. But ultimately, this will be a time of worshiping you. And Lord, I pray that you'll bless our time today and help us to understand uh, with our finite minds as best we can who you are. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. So, um, so as we start in chapter 7, our, our verse uh, that will get us started is Romans 6.11. And in Romans 6.11, uh, Paul's continuing this, this great chapter 6. In the same way you count yourself dead to sin, because then we just talked about that in chapter 6, that we have been released from the reign and the rule of sin. You know, as we said, Jesus, and Paul makes this clear, Jesus did not just, you know, uh, free us from sin. Uh, and uh, he also has given us the ability that we, we, we will not continue to just go out and live in perpetual sin. And there's, there's much of the Bible that talks about this. So last time we talked about the part of our action, uh, you know, uh, understanding that we're no longer slaves to sin. But at the same time, uh, this particular chapter is going to say, in the same way that we count ourselves dead to sin, we must also count ourselves alive in Christ Jesus. And remember, we've talked about this a lot, uh, that when we talk about what really takes place at justification, nothing wrong with talking about that, hey, I was lost and now I'm found. There's nothing wrong with that. But truly, being justified for Jesus, Jesus is taking the dead and making them alive. Uh, and because because we, we are dead uh, if, if we do not, if, we, if we're not redeemed. And we will die eternally. So so then the question comes up that we all ask, and Jerry Bridges takes this on, and it's certainly uh, a question. That's what we want to do in this Bible study is not be afraid to talk about what sometimes we think. So you start thinking, well, what good does it do to be told that the war with sin was won by Christ and his death on the cross if now I'm just going to still be harassed and sadly often defeated by sin in my heart? You know, I hear what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 6. I believe what took place on the cross really took place. So why in the world, if I have been freed from the reign of sin, do I still find myself harassed by it? We've talked about it in the past chapters being touched by sin. But this is what I think frustrates us the most is when we find out that in our hearts, sometimes we're still defeated by sin. And, and to experience practical, everyday holiness, 
we must accept the fact that God, in his infinite wisdom, has seen fit to allow this daily battle with indwelling sin. But God does not leave us to do the battle alone. So we have to accept the battle is real because that's reality. I mean, it's there. We can see it. And, and then so God, in his infinite wisdom, says the battle is going to continue, but yet I'm going to give you the power in me to battle beside you that you're not going to continue to be defeated. Just as he delivered us from uh, the reign of sin, as we talked about in chapter 5 of this book, he has also made the provision for us to win the daily skirmishes against sin. So this is where we have to learn, like we've talked about a lot, that God has made us alive in him. He has given us access to his power. Back to that Romans 6, 11, which is kind of our starting verse. Not only are we dead to sin, but now we're alive to God. So, so remember what, what Romans 6, 18 says. Make a note of this. Romans 6, 18, we at one time, he was talking about before, were slaves to sin. I mean, it owned us. It, it, there's nothing we could do. We were its slave. Not only have you been freed uh, from the reign and being slaves to sin, don't forget, look in 6.18, we now, because of the power of God, are slaves to righteousness. You know, if, if, if you've come under the authority of Christ, he is my Lord, you now, you now own me, you bought me. So I'm actually now doulos, I'm a bondservant to you. I once was a bondservant to sin, but now I'm a bondservant to you. And remember, we've talked about this before, the word doulos in the original Greek, which Paul uses, that, that's, that's important because there were different types of slaves. And we've talked about this before, but let's be sure we get it. And for those of you that haven't heard it before, then this will be the first time you've heard it. Paul uses the word doulos because in those days, a bond servant was different. You know, they were actually, you know, types of slavery where someone says, I owe you a debt. You helped me, so I'm going to send my boy over there. And he's an indentured slave and he's going to work off my debt to you, or I'm going to work off my debt to you, but I'm free to go home, and I'm free to go back to my family. I'm really just reporting back for work, but I'm working for free. So I have some rights, and I, am, I do have some freedom. Well, that's not what Paul's talking about. He said at one time you didn't have a choice because you were a slave to sin. Now we're going to move you as, as to become doulos for Jesus. You're now going to become a bondservant to Jesus, which means what? He is fully righteous. And that means I don't have any rights. I was bought on the cross. I now belong to Jesus. He is my Lord, and I'm not free to just do whatever I want to do. I'm a bondservant. I'm due lost to Jesus. I've become a slave to righteousness. And we need to see ourselves that way. We now have been united with Christ, not in some, but in all of his power. Remember, one of the most convicting things we've studied so far, which means when we return to sin now, we return as a free man. We're, we're rejecting our authority, and we, we have a choice whether we're going to sin or not. And so when we do, we choose to. But it says that's not the way a bondservant acts. And again, this is not a code of conduct. This is not legalism. This is the transform, transforming power of Jesus Christ. So what is the significance of being alive unto God? Because of what Paul tells us, he said, you know, it's, you count yourselves dead to sin, but now alive to God, what? In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. So what this means is we've been united with Christ and all of his power. Now look at Philippians eleven thirteen. If you have this, uh, let's go to Philippians uh, 3, 11. I'm sorry, I didn't give you the chapter. 3, 11. I'm sorry, it's 4. Uh, 4, when, when we're talking 11 through 13, because this is a part of the Bible that has been misused many, many times, uh, and it's always used. You've got to understand in the Word of God what Paul, the, the position that he's writing from, because we're going to get to 4.13. Again, one of the most misused verses in the whole Bible. You would think that Philippians 4.13, is, it's used as an accomplishment verse, you know, that God's going to give me the strength to accomplish something. He's going to give me the strength to get what I want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But listen, that's not what this verse is about. This is about a battle. 11, now that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know now, I mean, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound, meaning I've experienced the lows, I've experienced the highs. 
in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then here it comes. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, guys, what Paul is talking about is I can endure anything because Christ gives me the strength to endure it. This is not about accomplishment. That is not what this verse is about. This verse is about no matter the situation I find myself in, Jesus Christ provides the strength for me to endure it and not to compromise him. Here was Paul. He's in jail when he's writing this. He goes, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know if I'm coming out this time or this is going to be the time I'm going to be dead. He, he may let me out of jail. He may not. But here's Paul who says, while I'm in jail, instead of saying, poor, poor, pitiful me, I go to the strength provided only by Jesus Christ. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to lead this guard that is chained to me. I'm going to lead him to Jesus. How many of you can honestly say that if you were in jail, your thoughts would be on, I wonder who I'm here to point to Jesus? I mean, would that, would that be your thought? I, th I think I'd probably start, well, now why, what am I doing in jail? I've done nothing but do what you asked me to do, and now I'm in jail. Well, that's what we got to know. Sometimes you're doing exactly what God called you to do, which also places you in suffering. We just had that conversation at lunch. I mean, that, why am I in jail to lead this guy to Jesus? Why am I in jail to glorify me? Why am I sick to glorify me? Why am I hurting to glorify me? Why did my son die to glorify me? Why did my daughter die to glorify me? Why are these bad things happening? So I can be glorified, so I can refine you. And we were talking about this. If you really want to be free is when you get to the point that no matter the situation we find ourselves in, we look to God and say, this situation is correct. It's correct. If you're doing what God called you to do, whatever situation you're in, you look to God and say, what you're doing is for my own good, it's for somebody else's own good, and it's for you to be glorified. So give me the strength not to embarrass you. Give me the strength that I won't compromise. And think about Job. I mean, at one time his wife's even saying, just curse God and be done with it. Because that, that was the test, you know, and, and, and Job said, so we're just going to celebrate him when everything goes well. We're going to celebrate him when, no matter what. And so we can't use our circumstances as an excuse for sin because you're saying, well, Rick, you're talking about suffering. How does this apply to holiness? I'll tell you how. Because our reactions to circumstances are part of our walk of holiness. That's part of it, how you respond to bad things and suffering. And so if he says, I've given you the strength to endure whatever situation you're in, then guess what? Jesus, is, Jesus and his full righteousness has given us the power. His strength will never, ever be wanting. Well, I got a bad situation with sin, and Jesus just wasn't strong enough to keep me out of it. He just couldn't do it. But Paul said, no, Jesus gives me the strength to endure anything, including temptation. Not just suffering, but also temptation. So holiness is not a series of do's and don'ts. We've talked about that, and we got to get that because when, a lot of times when everybody thinks about holiness, the reason why it's rejected, of course, you have to ignore a lot of the Bible to reject holiness, but people push back on it because they think you're talking about legalism. And they're so terrified of legalism that they'll take legalism and obedience and treat them the same. That's not the same thing. That, that's not uh, Obedience comes from our commitment and our love of Jesus. So, and then he provides us the strength to be under that obedience. He says, so what we're trying to do is not do's or don'ts, and this is a throwback to last week, but I want to hit it again. It is conformity to the character of God and obedience to the will of God. So I'm conforming to his character, not my own. He's changing me. He's refining me. But at the same time, I am obedient to his will. What did Jesus to teach us? Yes, we pray for what the, the, how we hope things will turn out. But what do we ultimately say? But your will be done. Why? Because my will's flawed. His isn't. What did Jesus say? I'm here to do the will of my Father. What did Jesus say about who's fake, who's real? Look for those who are doing the will of my Father. They're the real deal. Those who aren't, I don't know them. I don't care what kind of production they're putting on. I don't know them. So being into the will of God, not our own will, and conforming to the character of God, that's what holiness is all about. Accepting with contentment 
whatever circumstances God allows for me is very much part of a holy walk. I am content, Lord, with wherever you want me. I'm not talking about where you want you, where he wants you. You think about this, about contentment. We just studied uh, at church this past Sunday. Danny did a great message on David going from chapter 8 and falling into David in chapter 11. And I thought this was pretty ironic that when we declare bankruptcy, what do we declare? Chapter 11. Uh, so, so David, chapter 11, is, is, is Bathsheba. It, it all falls apart. Well, what was well, you, you can go all the reasons why David did that. First of all, Sherry and I were talking about it after the service. I said, number one, he, be, he started believing his press clippings. David is great. He's greater than Saul. He has victory everywhere he goes. You know, he told the Amorites, I'm going to come get you in the spring. But then the spring got around, eh, I'm going to send somebody else because it's going to happen anyway. I, and, and then he, he, so he begins to, but then what else happens with him about this? What happens? You can give all the stuff about Bathsheba, and there's plenty of things we can say, but one thing we cannot deny, he wasn't content with what he already had. But I don't have her. Yeah, but you got all kinds of women. But I don't have her. You know that's one of your mighty men's wife. Yeah, but I want her. That's what I want. Look at everything God's giving you. He's giving victory after victory after victory. He's giving you everything you could possibly ever ask for. He's been good to you, but I don't have her. So he's not content. He's not content. And, and so his lack of contentment and also what? His lack of obedience in the spring, that's when the kings go to battle. And I've given you these people, and the Amorites, you said, were a stench to you by the way they treated our people and shamed them. And I said in the spring, I've got them in a city. I want you to go get them. I'll send somebody else. No, I told you to go get them. So he didn't obey, and he wasn't content. And what happened? Disaster. So that, that's the reason why I see now, did God give him the strength not to be lazy and not go to battle? Yes. God had, God had already been giving him victory. Which what was confirmation that was in, in his will. What else had God given the strength to do? Not to go sleep with somebody else's wife. And certainly not murder him. God had given David all the power not to do those things. David did them because that's what he chose to do. It's not because he didn't have, he had nothing I could do. I, it was more than I could take on. No, it was never more than God could take on. You rejected the power of God and went and did what you wanted to do. So, so that's, that's, that's why contentment is always part of a holy walk. I am content with wherever God places me. Content. And um, so Paul says to the, uh, to, to the Colossians, and if you have your Bible, this is Colossians 1.11, if you want to make a note, Colossians 1.11. So Paul says to the Colossians that he prayed that they would be strengthened with all power according to his, God's glorious might, so that they may, might have great endurance and patience. Well, there it is again. Hey, I'm here. I helped plant this church. I'm writing a letter to you. Here, let me tell you one thing I want, to, want, want you guys. I'm praying that you'll be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience. He's praying for endurance. Paul's writing about endurance. I can endure all things. Matter of fact, why don't we just change Philippians 4.13? We just make that change. I can endure all things through Christ who strengthened me, including temptation. So where do endurance and patience come from? Paul says, I'm praying these for you. And he says what? They come from the strength of God's power. I pray for his glorious might for you. So it's not us. But guys, look at me. And, and those of you may be watching male or female, if you've been redeemed by Jesus, you have access to his might. You have access to his power. And if you don't access it, it's on you. It's not on him. And, and, and so that's the, that's the important part of this. So let's look at Ephesians 3.16. If you have your Bible or some of your Bible, let's go to Ephesians 3.16. Ephesians 3.16. Now this is, you're going you're gonna to hear some things that are very similar to what we have already heard in Ephesians 3.16, because he's going to be talking about the same thing. He's going to say, out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Wow. So when he's talking to Ephesus, uh, it, 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 you know, how many times do you ever, somebody say, what's your favorite verse? You hear John 3.16, but you don't hear Ephesians 3.16 a lot, do you? Maybe we need to put that on our 3.16 list. So here's Ephesians 3.16. 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Look what 14 said before that. What is Paul doing here? He's praying for spiritual strength. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. What do you think he's talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit has entered your inner being, and I'm praying that you will receive strength and power through him coming into your spirit. I'm praying for that. Uh, Ephesians 3.20. Look, look what it says in Ephesians 3.20. Just look, look down a little further. Here's what he says here. He closes, says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. He's saying he provides the strength that we need and that we really should never lose to sin's power. He concludes by telling him God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power. Did it say our power? No. According to his power that is at work within us. We're back here again, folks. If the power that raised Jesus from the dead has entered our spirit, the Bible is screaming, you have access to power that will deliver you from the power of sin. Been freed from sin, not free to sin. I mean, if, if, we, if we could say that a thousand times, let's please say it, because sometimes the way, there, there's some kind of, there's almost some theology that has crept into our churches that sounds like that Jesus comes in and keeps us from dying and pays the penalty for sin, but it has no impact on you. I, where's, I just, do y'all hear all the verses we're talking about? We're not grabbing some two-line verse. We've been studying the Bible in here for four years immensely, word by word, through chapters of uh, books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, word for word, and we are coming to a conclusion that if somebody tells you that you've been redeemed and justified by Jesus, and it, it will never change you, that is false theology. That's not what the Bible says. He provides strength we need to never lose the battle. We must reckon on these two facts. I am dead to sin. And it's rain over me, right? We can't drive that home any more than we already have. But I am alive to God, united to him who strengthens me. This is why I can keep sin from reigning in my mortal body. Say it again. God has provided the power we need to not let sin reign in our mortal body. Now, we're talking about sin reigning. Look, I don't know that there's ever a way on this side of heaven in this battle that goes on, that you're ever going to have a time that you don't make a mistake or you don't stumble. That is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is we got people walking around in the church body living in perpetual sin, sin reigning over their lives. They're making no adjustments in their life. They live just like the world lives. There's no different in them. And they're somehow saying that they have experienced Jesus Christ and it's had no impact on them. And the Bible says that living in open, perpetual sin as a follower of Jesus Christ isn't possible. It isn't possible. And it's almost like, you know, like I had to find out my own life. I, don't, I guess it's just arrogance and pride or the culture. I don't know what it is. If you, think, if you keep asking the question, saying, why, why can I never get to this thing the Bible keeps talking about? Can I just say it again? It may be because you're just lost. That might be it, because something's wrong if Jesus Christ has changed nothing. Think about what we're saying. How many times we said that? That just don't say much about Jesus, does it? Hey, man, you really need Jesus. Why? So I can be like you and look the same way I look? Why do I need Jesus? Do you have Jesus? I do. I don't see you acting any different than me. So are we going over to watch Game of Thrones again? Absolutely. Uh, do you realize the first episode what is featured in the very first episode of Game of Thrones? The very first one. I was told by somebody, hey, Game of Thrones, you'd love this. I can't even get through the first 20 minutes of it and the debauchery and the, and the horrific stuff. And you would walk around, and you know what? You go to Sunday school class, 
and all everybody's talking about how mad they are of how they, the thing ended, which means I didn't just go kick the tires on the first episode of Game of Thrones. I've been with it the whole way, and I'm frustrated that I named my baby after the queen and she's turned out to be evil. I'm sorry if that blew it, but it was in a story. If you don't know that, then, you know, good. Maybe you stop watching it. But, I mean, <laughs> what, what, what kind of holy people sit down and crank out Game of Thrones? That's what, I mean, I mean, the first episode featured open, gratuitous, I mean, really just graphic incest. Incest. And, and, and so, I'm, I'm like, well, you know, I mean, you know, it's got some bad stuff in it, but man, I'm telling you. So, so I, I'm, I can't, so is it martyrdom? Am I, am I a martyr because I don't watch Game of Thrones? Jesus got beaten and, and, and went to the cross for me. His blood's dripping. He's crying out in anguish. And I'm thinking, Jesus, I appreciate you doing that, but please don't keep me from watching Game of Thrones. Why can I not watch this soft porn stuff? I mean, that ain't no big deal, is it? Well, uh, apparently it was. I mean, look, I mean, why does it? Hey, don't bother me. And like I said before, the big adjustment for me, when people say that, that is not spiritual maturity. That's spiritual immaturity. That means you know so little and your relationship with Christ is so weak that you don't even feel the conviction of him when you're watching that garbage. That's what it means. And, and I'm not trying to be legalistic about that. That's just an example I'm coming up with. And there's many examples of the same kind of behavior is because it's it, to watch. The, you know, you remember we, we had this before. You remember when the Fifty Shades of Grey stuff was out. There were women's groups at church that were reading that book. Women of the church sitting around talking about, they called it mommy porn, and they're talking about it at church. What, what in the world are we doing? I mean, I, I can't even wrap my mind around that. That's not a gray area, speaking of that. That's not, a, that's not something you go, hey, I don't know if I were to be looking. You know, there's some things in life, let's be honest, and Brent Crow wrote a great book about it, Chasing Elephants. There's some things in life that you go, this is kind of a difficult thing to kind of hash out here. These things I'm talking about right now, they're not difficult. That, that's not difficult to hash out. You, know, you take something like, for instance, I'm not one of these people who says I won't watch something because it's rated R. I don't. Passion of the Christ was rated R. I want to know why it's rated R. Like, do I want to, did I show my kids Saving Private Ryan about, about D-Day? I did. Did it have some bad language in it? It did. But there's a redeeming message here about sacrificing yourself for the benefit of others and trying to respect that some of these what these men did to sacrifice their lives for the good of the rest of us is kind of has a redeeming message. Now, there's some language in there that I wouldn't approve of. Is there language in there that a godly man should never utter? Yes. But see, that right there, we can sit down and have a discussion about how we maneuver through that kind of stuff. When we're talking about the kind of stuff I'm just mentioning, this other stuff, that's not even, that's not even up for consideration. And, and, and especially if something bothers you, I mean, I'm not saying there are any people who claim to be Christians that name their kids after the queen and Game of Thrones, but I know human beings did. But it, can you really point to somebody that says, well, I named my kid after this queen, and I'm mad that she turned out to be evil. Now my kid's named after an evil queen. I want to scream, maybe name your kid after cartoons is a bad, bad start. You know what I mean? Uh, but, but, but what I'm saying is you can look at that, but then you go over and try to laugh at that, and then all of a sudden the Lord goes, but you're watching it, aren't you? How are you any better than them? At least they've never claimed to be mine. But you've claimed to be mine and you're doing it. You're not set apart. You're not in the world but not of the world. You're going and consuming the same garbage that they consume. By, and by the way, by, while claiming that I live in your spirit, I'm going to take Jesus week after week and I'm going to binge watch uh, Game of Thrones with Jesus. But that's 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 what we that's what we do when we claim that we belong to Him. I'm gonna get a lot of email about this. <laughs> Speedy at rickandbubba.com. So let's talk about what Martin Lord Jones says. This is good. He says to realize that what we just talked about about the, the, that we're united to Him who strengthens me, and I can keep from the reigning sin in my mortal body. Doctor Martin Lord Jones says to realize this takes away from us that old sense of hopelessness 
which we have all known and felt because of the terrible power of sin. How does this work? It works this way. I lose my sense of hopelessness because I can say to myself that not only am I no longer under the dominion of sin, but I am under the dominion of another power that nothing can frustrate. I love that. However weak I may be, it is the power of God that's working in me. So, yeah, I can make mistakes. I can't handle the battle, but I'm going to look over to the Lord. says, you give me access to power, and I love this line, I'm under the dominion of another power that nothing can frustrate. I mean, think about it. Go, go to the Revelation. When, I mean, it's called a battle. It's not a battle. I mean, we get to the end, Jesus shows up, and he just says, and everybody's dead that opposes him. It's not a battle. It's called a battle, but we're sitting having access to that power that sin can't frustrate. I mean, think about this. The demons are begging Jesus, please don't do to us what we know you can do. Show us some mercy, meaning whatever you want to do with this, you're going to do. And we have access to that. We're not just walking around thinking that, that, that we can be attacked and destroyed while we're under the dominion of Jesus Christ. And then look at this. I love this part, too, in, uh, in, on the same page, but, but it's not a Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's just in the book. To count on the fact that we are dead to sin and alive to God is something we must do actively. Now, that's the important part. I am connected to the power of God always. To do it, we must form the habit of continually realizing that we are dead to sin and alive to God. Practically speaking, we do this when by faith in God's word, we resist sin's advantage, I mean, sin's advances and temptations. We count on the fact that we are alive to God when by faith we look to Christ for the power we need to do the resisting. You know, a, a great Adrian Rogers said one time, he said, Look, when something's really got you down and you're in trouble, whether it be a person or some kind of temptation, go tell Jesus on them. Whatever it is, say, Jesus, hey, I'm in trouble. I need you. And he's not going to go, well, I'm busy right now. Oh, so you want access to the power? I do. So you don't want that sin. I don't. But I'm struggling. I have a desire for it. And I say that all the time. Take away my desire for this. Lord Jesus, take away my desire for this my desire for uh, this bitterness I got against somebody, this vengeance I have kind of burning in me a little bit. How about this? My desire to look at things on in a show that I probably, my flesh, wouldn't mind seeing. Take away my desire for that. that that's the prayer, right? That, take away my desire for it. Because if you, do, if you just wait and say, well, my desire hadn't changed, and I'll just see how I do. That's a tough place to put yourself. You're just making it harder. I love when it says to form habits. All of our sins were habitual, so our sanctification is going to take new habits. You know, it's a new habit for me to get up and get on my face before the Lord. At one time, that wasn't my habit. So we can form good habits just like we can form bad ones. And um, I love when he says um, that, that, that Romans 6.11 has to become a fact to us, not something we just heard. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says. We must understand that when he says that we are dead to sin and alive to God, we must believe that he has given us the Holy Spirit to live within us. And, and then I love this. It says, another way of looking at our union with Christ for his spirit is the agent of this union, saying it is he who gives spiritual life and he who gives the strength to live that life. And we find that in Romans chapter 8, 9 through 11. Jot that down to look at. He does give us the power. Romans 8, 9, 11. It is the Spirit of God who works in us that we may decide and act according to God's good purpose. Put Philippians 2, 13 down for that. That the Spirit of God works in us that we may decide and act according to God's purpose. Meaning, we're going to be so in tune with, with the Spirit, it becomes natural for us to do the right thing just as it used to be natural to do the wrong thing. Somebody say amen. So Paul said this, God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction, oh, this is where God, this is, when, this is when God wants to clarify, does not reject the man who may have said it to you, but you reject God because he's the one that gave you his Holy Spirit. Write down 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 and 8. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 and 8. How many times do you see the prophets of the Old Testament, God say, let's be clear, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. So listen, 
when when your brother or sister comes to you uh, and says, hey, I, by the word of God, see behavior in your life. I see choices. I see things you're doing. And I'm going to hold you accountable by the word of God in these scriptures. What you're doing is wrong. If you reject that, you don't reject them. You can find all kinds of faults in them. If they give you truth out of the word of God and you reject it, you reject God. You don't reject them. All they're doing is telling you what God said. They're not the standard. God is the standard. Paul says, he who is, he is called the Holy Spirit. And I love this. And this he's he about to go common sense. This is a superpower on us here. He sent, and he is sent primarily to make us holy, to conform us to the character of God. Here's what Jerry's saying. You do know what the name of it is, right? The Holy Spirit. So it must be the Spirit that is making us what? Holy. It's in the name. Holy Spirit. That's God's holiness. What are we going to call this, this, this person of God? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. What's his job? Holiness. How do you know that? It's in his name. Right? You remember back in the old days, I'm, I'm old enough to remember the milkman. What's in his name? What does he do? He brings milk. Why? He's a milkman. That's what you call it. What, what does a garbage man do? He deals with garbage. So what do you think the Holy Spirit does? It deals with holiness. It's in the name. For example, we're told to flee sexual immorality. That's in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and 19. Write that down. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and 19. We are told to flee sexual immorality because our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We're told that we are controlled not by our sinful nature, but by the Spirit. And if the Spirit of God lives in us, write down Romans 8, 9, Romans 8, 9, we read there, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of sinful nature. That's also in Galatians 5, 16. And we talk about the battle. Let's call Galatians 5 the battle chapter. That's the battle between the Spirit and the flesh. Let's say this again, guys. I want us to apply this to our lives. Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So wait a minute. So if I live by the Spirit, it's, it might not happen? No, it will not happen. Remember Jesus said a healthy tree does not bear bad fruit? It cannot. Not it should not. It cannot. So if we, you know, if you, if we see us gratifying the desires of our sinful nature, we've got to come to one conclusion. We're not living by the Spirit. Because if we were living by the Spirit, that wouldn't be happening. The, the Bible guarantees that. So this is action. See, he didn't say, hey, when sexual immorality comes, God will deliver you from that. He gives you the power to be delivered from that, but what does he say? Get out of there. We decide whether we get up and leave or not. Hey, Lord, I, I, I fell victim to sexual sin. I thought you gave me the power not to do that. No, you wouldn't leave. You, you didn't turn the TV off. You, you didn't leave the room with the woman there that, that was, was catching your eye. You, you didn't stop looking at that picture on the internet. I told you to get away from there. I told you to leave. I told you to go. I gave you the strength to go, but I told you to go. Does everybody follow that? I mean, that, that, I, know, I know that, that that's deeper than that sounds. I get that. But that really is it, basically. And, and I hope y'all are listening. Why do we have the Holy Spirit living within us to strengthen us toward holiness? Why, why do we have that? It is because we are alive to God. There it is again. We are now living under the reign of God who unites us to Christ and gives us the Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit dwells within us. Don't forget what we kept saying about Acts chapter 2. And one day when the Lord gives me the right time and it happens, I really feel called to, to get down and get all this down and put a book together on this. we got to stop living before the Holy Spirit. We look at those examples before the Holy Spirit. We see a lot of things. You don't really see those who received the Holy Spirit falling away the way they did prior. We talk about this all the time. Jesus Christ himself, picture the guys that were following, picture the women that were following, that were there. Jesus has resurrected. He's come back. And you know they had to be in the yearning. Please stay here with us. Hey, to the son, please stay here with us. And what did he say? No, this good that I go. Please don't leave us. We thought you were dead. You're back. We're ready. No, no, I'm going to pour out my presence on you. I'm going to pour out the power of all of us, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you our righteousness in its fullness. It's going to enter your spirit, and now my presence will be with you, and my Father's presence will be with you always. Always. 
So that was better. Why? What, Rick, who are you to say it's better? I didn't say it was better. Jesus said it was better. It's good that I go. Now I'm going to come back for you. But the good news is what I'm leaving behind is going to turn the world upside down because I'm giving you the strength. I've now delivered you from what Satan took from you. And every time you get in a bind, you access that power that I placed in your spirit. It's there. I've given it to you. You don't have to look around and go, I wish Jesus was here. He's, I am. What did he say? Go out and do what I told you to do. But I, I'm with you. Where are you? The spirit. My spirit is with you. Trust me, what I'm about to do is right. And boy, that we've seen that, haven't we? So now he gives us the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. The Holy Spirit strengthens us to holiness first by enabling us, what? To see our need of holiness. Now, who can say amen to that? How many of you, like me, were perfectly com comfortable in sin, and then you got justified, and you're like, ooh. I mean, you still, the first time, went on back to your old stuff, but it didn't feel the same, did it? This didn't feel right. Now, I'm not saying we got it all together that first week, or even that first year, or even the first two years. But we knew what? Something's changed. I no longer feel the way about sin that I once did. Well, that's Jesus. That's, that's a sign that you've been justified in the Holy Spirit. You know, everybody says, how do we know the sincerity of people's hearts, Rick? Well, we'll see if it changes them. Because if they were sincere, the Lord honors that. He justifies that person. He redeems that person. We'll know their sincerity, not because they said a prayer and there's nothing against them. I'm not one of these anti-prayer people because the concepts of, of what people call the sinner's prayer or whatever, as long as the concepts of the Word of God are there, hey, there's nowhere in the Bible there's a sinner prayer. Yes, there is. All the concepts of that are there. That's where they came up with this. These weren't a bunch of idiots that came up with this. However, saying words doesn't save anybody. What saves people? Jesus does. How do we know, Rick, that they did everything they said they were doing? We'll see. Billy Sunday. Billy, we had 311 people give their life to Jesus today. You know what he said? We'll see. Now, he didn't deny them the opportunity to respond. I think that's wrong. I think the Western church is wrong about that. We're getting where we don't have a time of response. I think that's wrong. But here's the thing. But Because people say, well, some people come forward and it's not sincere. Yeah, but that doesn't mean we stop doing it. Okay? Because, Rick, why do we do it? Well, Acts chapter 2, that's what they did. The first time Peter ever got it right, they said, our hearts are pierced. We don't know what to do. Jesus, and he didn't say, y'all go home. God works it out. Or you can fill out a card and send it to us. Now, there's nothing. I'm not downing that completely. But I'm just telling you that Peter was asked, what are we supposed to do? And he said, what? Respond. Come on. Rise and come forth. And he even said, how many people did it? There were some numbers. Now, does that mean that every single person who's ever gone forward, even children, that every single one of them was sincere and they knew what they were talking about and they were redeemed and never the same? No, because I can tell you that I wasn't that way. But I can point to other people who were. I know people that had a childlike decision for Jesus and they were forever saved. They certainly weren't as mature spiritually as they are now, but they've never wandered off into some perpetual life of darkness. Never. Meaning what? It was sincere. But, but Jesus, Jesus told us the sincerity is found in what happens to you. Well, why do we see that? Well, the Holy Spirit. It's either there or it's not. Guys, if the Holy Spirit is in someone's life, it will affect something. It will affect. Now, does it, does it continue to grow? Does sanctification, uh, we mature? Yeah. What have I said about this whole plan about men's ministry? The biggest problem is that we are treating salvation as the end. We're treating redemption as the end, and that's the beginning. That's been a mistake. This ABCs of salvation, that's been a mistake. We're like, okay, good, you did what you're supposed to do. Now, whoo, that's done. That's been a mistake. The, the, that's the beginning of your new life. It's not the end of it. And too many times we leave people, especially men, in this spiritual infancy, and then and they're like, uh, you know, it's like we take a match go, and we light it, and then we walk off. And they're like, how do, you, how do you turn this into a fire? How do I feed the Spirit? And we don't ever address it again. See, coming up this Sunday, we're going to hear all over the country. Coming up this Sunday, what are we going to hear? The most important person in the home, in the church, and in society. What are we going to hear? We can all mouth it. The man, we got it. Now, please don't bother us and go on your way. We got, we got a disciple of women and children now. And maybe y'all follow them back in the church. That's not what you said in the message. Yeah, but that's what you're going to see us live out, though. We're going to have our children's programs. We're going to have our youth programs. We're going to have our women's program. We're going to have them rocking. Why don't you have your men's program rocking? It's too difficult. Men are complicated. They don't come around. They're hard to deal with. 
But you just said they're the most important force in the home, the church, and society. Shouldn't we put some energy there? Shouldn't we put the most, uh, watch it, should we put the most energy there? You know what Satan says? I believe it. Kill the man, you kill everything. Now the church says it on Father's Day, but are they waging war like they believe it? Satan believes it. You would think the church would say, well, if Satan has accurately decided to destroy men, has destroyed really everything, it just knocks down, the pillars fall, and everything falls. What if we discipled men into powerful followers of Jesus? I bet that'd fix a lot of problems. Where's the counter move? Now, I'm not saying no churches are doing it. Some of that's changing right now. But how about this? When y'all put me in the ground, I'm going to fight and fight and fight to call the church out to get this done, and I'm going to do it with every ounce of energy I have until the Jesus comes to get me or I die. Because I'm not going to claim this to be true and then not act like it's true. If the men truly are what we say every Father's Day, it's coming again Sunday, then let's do something about it. Then let's give them what they need to be the men the Bible calls them to be. You can, you can go down there and have the best children program in the world, and there's nothing wrong with that. I worked in the children's department. I, we do need to try to reach children. But you can work on children, and you can work on women, and you can take those children and send them back into a home with a lost man or a spiritual infant, and you can send that wife back to a spiritual infant, and everything you did at church, he'll destroy. He'll destroy it. You told us Sunday he would destroy it. You told us that last Father's Day. So here's an idea. Why don't we disciple the children, disciple the, the young people, disciple the singles, disciple the, the women, and let's try to disciple men at the same level or beyond what we do with them so when the family unit is together, everybody's where they're supposed to be. You're never going to disciple men treating them like they're women or children. They're not children and they're not women. Women and children are as much value to God as any man, but they're not the same. They're not the same. And you, if, if, and you don't treat men like women and children. And Now, they'll give you the words. Hey, you like your church? Oh, I love it. Cannot wait till it's over. I'm here because my wife gets on me, and I don't want to look like a bad dad. But if I had my druthers, I'd drop both of them off, and I'd go play golf or fish. Because there's nothing here that sounds like me. And that's got to change. If I had to do it over again, I would build the Western church from the men up sort of like the Bible called for. So, so the next thing he talks about, he says, if you want to be alive in Christ, there's another implication that goes with this. I got off on a little rant there, didn't I? Um, I don't want to eat up all of our time. Well, that's why we're here, though. And, and everybody's welcome to join us, but that's ultimately why we're here. So he's given us the Holy Spirit to live within us, and our union with Christ for his Spirit is the agent of the union, meaning that he's going to provide everything, but we've got to access that. And, he, and we, we talked about why he's called the Holy Spirit. We've got that, and, and we covered that. Now, next thing we want to is say, look, don't take on old habits without the Holy Spirit. Write that down. Do not take on, if you're going to say, I'm going back to change my old habits, well, don't you go back and change them without the Holy Spirit because you're going to find yourself frustrated. You bring the Holy Spirit into battle with you. If the Holy Spirit uses Scripture to show us our need and to stimulate a desire for holiness, then doesn't it make sense that we should be in God's Word on a consistent basis? Where does the Holy Spirit tell us? Tell us, how do we know about the Holy Spirit? What do we know about it? In the Word of God. So the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to cut us and convict us. Yes, He uses the Word of God, what? To tell us who God is and who He calls us to be. So wouldn't it be, wouldn't it make sense that if we truly want to be in sync with the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to know the Word of God, right? What have we said a thousand times? You can say you're going to do what Jesus would do till the cows come home, but you'll never do what Jesus would do if you don't know what he did. That is impossible. I wonder what, I wonder what the Bible says about this. I don't know, Dad. I thought you would know. And look, I'm going to tell you something. Nobody in here is worse about Bible study than your teacher. But you know what changed me? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave me a desire for the Word of God. I had never had it before. And I actually started off saying, all right, my next step, and, and look, stay with me. This may be for you. My, you know, my first step was listening to other people talk about the Bible because I just didn't like to sit down and read. Before I knew it, that got me so fired up that I started reading it, and, and it's like I put on these glasses. 
You know, if I take these glasses off, so y'all got y'all a little bit blurry. But if I take the Holy Spirit and put on the glasses and look at the Bible, it's like it's like I've been given glasses to see. And I'm like, oh, 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 wow, this is what, I thought the Bible was really complicated. Why does this not feel complicated to me anymore? Holy Spirit. Now you're on the power of the Holy Spirit. Hey, y'all, guess what? The Holy Spirit has actually changed me. And it's continuing to change me. Now it's dealing with every little detail of my life. At first, we just had to deal with the big stuff. <laughs> there were so many big things. The Holy Spirit said, we can't get to the little stuff. Let's take on the biggies first. And let's knock them down. And I'm on, we're going to change your desire about that. Now we'll move on to the little stuff. You're going to start being refined. Now we're going to fine-tune you a little bit. We're going to talk about selfish ambition. We're going to talk about jealousy and envy. We're going to talk about not being content. Stop, stop looking at, at bringing glory to yourself. We're going to deal with those things. We'll deal with pride. But before I had to deal with sexual immorality, drunkenness, a foul mouth. You know, all that had to be dealt with first. Really, honestly, you know, having idols in my life, uh, worrying about success more than worrying about being holy, de defining success the wrong way. But those things will be dealt with. So the Word of God is something that is crucial. And if you don't have a desire for the Word of God, this is what I tell every man. You've heard me say this before. Look into your life for the things you do have a desire for. I don't know a man alive that isn't an expert on something. It's different. We all have different interests. But I've heard men rattle off a lot of information about a lot of things that required some sort of pursuit of knowledge. It might be their team. It might be their hobby. Uh, it might be their job, their field they're in. So where did they learn all that? Well, they, they researched it. So if, if we think that this is something that we need and we really do care about it, I got news for you. You'll learn the Word of God. You really will. If that's your desire, he'll honor that. You just got to ask, do you have a desire to be holy? I mean, be honest, because I've been there. I, I, I got into, a, a, not a disagreement, but a discussion with one of our brothers, and I said, Brother, I understand what you're saying about us, us talking about this holiness, but I got to tell you how men work. If you can't sell me that holiness matters, and all I need to do is just make sure I'm not going to hell, that's where I'm going to stay. So wait a minute. So just as long as I'm saved and don't go to hell, that's all that matters? If that's the message we're sending, I got news for you. Every man I know, including myself, says, okay, well, I guess I've done enough. But see, we can't. that's a false sense of security. That's that fire insurance stuff you got to be real careful with because the problem with the fire insurance stuff, it'll tell you that as long as you intellectually believe something, you're good. But remember what we said? Demons do that. And I got news for you. We're not going to spend eternity with them. But they certainly believe every concept about God there is. They know more about it than we do. So that can't be it. What we need to look for is what? The actual proof of the power of God in our lives. And that proof is our obedience and our sanctification and our holiness. Because that's who he is. Right? It'd be like saying, you know, I remember one time... We got talking about it, and I was talking about it with my, with my older kids one time about, believe it or not, the presence of God, and it was a message called Smell Like Jesus. Because you think about the difference when those Romans would come in and they capture all their prisoners, and they would, they would have the incense, and they'd have all this aroma that was going on. And Paul uses this analogy. Well, to the Roman people, this was the smell of victory. But if you were their prisoner... This was the smell of death. So when we go out into the world, what do we smell like? Do we smell like death or do we smell like Jesus? Because when Jesus, the smell of Jesus to the believer is victory, redemption, and eternal life. But Jesus showing up to the unredeemed, it's not a good day. Because he can't help in his holiness to reject those that are not holy. And who makes us holy? Jesus. Who provides the power? Jesus. Galatians 5.16, live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. I love that. And to live by the Spirit is to live both in obedience. Oh, this is, write this down, new, new concept. To live by the Spirit is to live both in obedience that we covered to and dependence on the Holy Spirit. So to live by the Spirit is twofold, obedience, but also dependence. I know, that, I know this is a tough dance. Stay with me. I'm, I'm obedient to the Holy Spirit, which means what? I'm also dependent that he'll get the job done. I'm just obedient, and then he does the rest. 
I'm Holy Spirit, I desire for you to change my sinful nature. And I'm dependent on your power to do so. Did I get it? I think I got it. Everybody got it there? So there's a balance then between our wills expressed by obedience, meaning I'm deciding, that's that flee sexual immorality, my action is, remember, submit to the Lord, resist the devil, come near to God out of James. It is my will to be obedient. I, that's my action. I willingly am obedient to you, but my faith is expressed to my dependence on you. Everybody still with This is big. If we can get this, this, this is it. Okay? This is a big move in this study right here. I have to be obedient, but at the same time be dependent. So, so I'm moving my will, action, to obedience, but I have faith that I'm dependent that the Holy Spirit will accomplish what I'm trying to be obedient to do. Everybody got it? I'm willing to do it, but I can't do it without the power only you provide. Got it? That's good. Dependence on what? The Holy Spirit. No one overcomes the corruption of his heart except by the enabling strength of the Spirit of God. Your heart, remember we, we, ran, we ran the heart down pretty good last one. The heart cannot be defeated by anything other than the strength provided by the Holy Spirit. Second Peter, we'll end with this. Second Peter 1.4. Through participation in the divine nature, we escape corruption. And this participation is through the indwelling Holy Spirit. So we express our dependence on the Holy Spirit for a holy life in two ways. First, through a humble and consistent intake of Scripture. We talked about that. So if I want to be dependent on the Holy Spirit for a holy life, I first must humble myself and have a consistent intake of Scripture. Please, men, if you're not doing that, let me know. I'll help you. we got to have Scripture. All right, we got to have it. And if we, if we want to live in the realm of the Spirit, we must continually feed our minds with His truth. Second way to be dependent on the Spirit is to what? Pray for holiness. Have you prayed for it? Pray for holiness. Sometimes I forget to do that. I get so caught up in that, 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 that there's things I need to do and things I need to avoid. So there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes I need to say, Lord, you said I'm to be holy. You said you're holy. You said you provided the power for me to be holy, I pray, I pray that you'll make me holy. Pray for it. So constant intake of Scripture and a prayer for holiness. Listen to this, what Paul said to, the, to, to Thessalonica. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, meaning to make you holy, through and through. And may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other, for everyone else, may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of God. Clearly, Paul knew that they had to depend on the Holy Spirit for holiness, and he expressed this dependence for them through a prayer on their behalf. Listen to that. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of God. Meaning, if that's what we're praying for, Paul certainly expected that to be something that the Lord can and will do. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this today. Thank you for this ongoing message. Today, Lord, I just felt kind of like for myself, just some clarity popping in on this, this, this dance that I know is difficult for us to understand, but it's crucial for us to understand. The bottom line is, Lord, you've called us to be holy, and we will make a move to be obedient to that call. But then we realize through faith that we're totally dependent on your power to accomplish it. And I hope that that, that, that was settling for a lot of us today, trying to, to figure out and apply this to our lives. I pray any area, anytime we get together and we hash out your word, any area of conviction that rose up in our spirits today, that we will not just move on to the rest of our day and hope it goes away. We'll lean into that conviction and we'll do something about it. I pray for those that are hurting, that are listening to this right now. I pray for the men in this room and the mountains of troubles they may face. I pray they always find their hope only in you. But at the same time, something supernatural for men to do that we don't forget to lean on each other. 
And I pray this for all who are participating. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks, guys. We'll, oh, next week, next week. There is no study next week. I'll be on vacation. Y'all please, please pray for Sherry and for me. Uh, we're going to spend some time with our sons and their friends, and then maybe toward the end of the week, uh, if they blow out of there and have some things they have to do, we'll get a couple days to ourselves, and we really want to spend that time seeking what God's plan is for us with our ministry, but also spending time investing in, in, our, in our marriage. So it'll be a kind of a sabbatical next week, so y'all be praying for us. I would appreciate that. And so a week, two, uh, two weeks from today, we'll be back. Okay? Thanks a lot.